done to him. So here we are to lift up his holy name. That's how we say. So today, I'd like to say thanks to all the supporters and then once again to Almighty God for having me here again another day. And uh, today, 
I would like us to continue the same topic on worshiping on a Sunday. And uh, the title for today is Worshiping on Sunday is God ordained and of Old Testament origin. So I'll be taking my scriptures today from King James Version Bible and uh, I'm about to start. Now, if worshiping on Sunday is God ordained and not just a New Testament tradition, should God not have given us some hint of this in the pages of the Old Testament? Now, this question, right, it, it becomes more critical when we remember the text which states, Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secrets unto his servants, the prophets. That is taken from Amos chapter 3, verse 7. Now, if one were to take a cue from Amos chapter 3, verse 7, one would undoubtedly expect to find some reference which points to this New Testament tradition of the separation of Sunday as a day of worship. And that would have been found somewhere in the pages of the Old Testament. Now, fortunately for us, God mandated two of his Old Testament saints, Moses and David, to write about this New Testament phenomenon of worshipping on Sundays. Now, accordingly, in Leviticus chapter 23, God has detailed prophetically his entire plan of salvation for this world in general, but for Israel in particular. Now, in order to give us an insight into his plan of redemption, he foreshadowed his plan of salvation by the institution of certain feast days called holy convocations. Now, the word convocations in Leviticus 23 means appointments or set times. It means, therefore, that each respective feast in Leviticus 23 and 25 refers to a specific future appointment or set time which God has ordained to be kept. For example, when we look at Leviticus chapter 23 from verse 1 to 3, we observe that the seventh day Sabbath is separated as a holy convocation. Now, just to remember, well, to remind you all what I had given a definition as to what convocation means just now. So it means appointments or set times, right? So, for example, when we look at Leviticus chapter 23 from verse 1 to 3, we observe that the seven-day Sabbath is separated as a holy convocation. Now, from Exodus 31, from verse 16 to 17, we learn that the seven-day Sabbath, among other things, is a sign between God and the children of Israel forever. And from Colossians chapter 2, 
from verse 16 to 17, we also learn that the Sabbath is a shadow of things to come. Now, brethren and Sabbath keeping friends, of what substance, object, or state is the Sabbath a sign or a shadow? Now, I humbly submit that the seventh day Sabbath is a sign or a shadow of the rest which the children of Israel will enjoy when they accept their Messiah in the seventh millennium from Adam's creation. When Jesus Christ reigns upon this planet as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, that can be found in Zechariah chapter 14, verse 16, Isaiah chapter 11, from verse 1 to 10, Isaiah chapter 14, verse 3, and verse 7. Now, the nation of Israel shall accept its Messiah, and its Messiah would, in turn, accept Israel. So you can read Zechariah chapter 13, verse 6, 8 to 9, and Hosea chapter 6, from verse 1 to 2. Now, in verses 10 through 14 of Leviticus 23, we observe that God highlights another feast even the feast of first fruits this feast is special in the sense that it could only have been kept when israel entered the land of promise that makes it a feast of possession right which is found in leviticus chapter 23 verse 10. now the importance of this feast is highlighted by the answers to the following questions on which day was this feast of first fruits to be celebrated? Now, the answer is on the morrow after the Sabbath, when they reaped their harvest. Now, a sample of their crops was to be consecrated to God. So, from Leviticus chapter 23, from verse 11 to 14. We know that this feast of first fruits was ordained of God to be celebrated only on a Sunday. Now, another question is in order. What aspect of redemption did this feast of first fruits foreshadow? Brethren, this feast foreshadowed the resurrection of Christ from the dead. On the first day of the week, which you can read in mark chapter 16 verse 9 and compare it with first corinthians chapter 15 verse 20. now it also foreshadowed the resurrection of the sheaf right which is a sampling of old testament saints who arose from the dead after jesus resurrection on the first day of the week that is confirmed in Matthew chapter 27 from verse 51 to 53. From this feast, therefore, we know that Sunday, the morrow after the Sabbath, was designated by God as first fruits day and was to be a statute for the children of Israel forever, which is found in Leviticus chapter 23 verse 10 to 14. Again, brethren, we observe that Israel was further instructed 
to count seven Sabbaths from first fruit Sunday. Then upon the morrow after the seventh Sabbath, they were to celebrate another feast in which they were to offer a new meat offering, which is found in Leviticus chapter 23 from verse 15 to 16, chapter 17, 15 to 16, sorry, sorry, and from verse 17 to 21. So I repeat that again. Leviticus chapter 23 from verse 15 to 16 and from verse 17 to 21. Now, this feast, which was to be celebrated on the 50th day after the Feast of First Fruits, which foreshadowed the resurrection, was to be declared an holy convocation, just as the seventh day Sabbath was declared to be. Now, compare Leviticus 23 from verse 1 to 3 with Leviticus 23 verse 21 if in doubt. Now, my Sabbath-keeping friends, please ponder this question. Did God knowingly appoint these two feasts that foreshadow the resurrection of Christ and his saints? Read Matthew chapter 27 from verse 51 to 53. And the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the church. Read Acts chapter 2 from verse 1 to 4, Leviticus 23, verse 14 to 21. To fall on Sunday without remembering that worshipping on Sundays was the mark of the beast, as Mr. Uriah Smith in his book, The Marvel of Nations, from pages 174 to 175, or Miss White in her great controversy, or Mr. Marcuson in his National Sunday Law, page 47, or the three angels, Thusians, or truth for the final generation friends of Trinidad would have us to believe. Now, I doubt very much, in fact. I have enough biblical evidence to prove that God knows nothing about worshiping On Saturdays, right? So that notion is undiluted, religious nonsense, and propagated by the biblical ignorance. Now, brethren and reading friends, from Leviticus chapter 23, from verse 10 to 14, we know that Sunday was appointed by God to be first fruits day. Moreover, from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 from verse 20, we know that Christ, the first fruits, fulfilled that Old Testament shadow. Also, brethren, read Mark chapter 16 verse 9. We know that Jesus actually rose from the dead on the first day of the week, right? It follows, therefore, that first fruits day, Sunday, was surely appointed by God as a memorial of his son's resurrection, as can be seen from Leviticus 23, from verse 10 to 14, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, and Mark chapter 16, verse 9. So, brethren, those are the God-given biblical facts which have withstood all former and present-day 
Sabbath keepers that attack the Sunday worshippers. Now, brethren, not only did God foreshadow the resurrection of his son by a feast that was appointed to fall only on a Sunday, as Leviticus 23 verse 10 to 14, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 20, and Mark chapter 16 verse 9 proves. He also knowingly foreshadowed the outpouring of his Holy Spirit on his New Testament bride on another appointed feast which fell only on Sundays, which is Pentecost Sunday. Now this fact can be easily verified by comparing Leviticus 23 from verse 15 to 16 and the 21 with Acts chapter 2 from verse 4 to 41. Then remembering that 50 days from Resurrection Sunday was Pentecost Sunday. We know for a fact that the notion of Sunday observance being the mark of the beast is pure rubbish, irrespective of what our Sabbath-keeping friends believe and teach today. Now, since the psalmist David was the one to whom God had ordained, God had committed the ordinance of praise and worship. Hold one second, please. Sorry about that. Okay, so sorry about that. Now, since the psalmist David was the one to whom God had committed the ordinance of praise and worship, um, one can confirm by reading Ezra chapter 3, verse 10. Now, since from Amos chapter 9, verse 9 to 11, and Acts chapter 15, from verse 13 to 17, we learn of God's intention to restore that said type of worship in this dispensation of grace. We could reasonably expect that David would have had something to say about worshiping on Sundays. Now, in this dispensation of grace, right? So we thank God for David for actually doing so. Now, in Psalms 118 from verse 21 to 24, it is very instructive indeed. For in these verses, David links the rejected stone, which is Jesus Christ, who became the headstone of the corner to a special day, which the Lord had made or designated to be a day of rejoicing and gladness. Now, from Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16, 1 Peter chapter 2, from verse 4 to 7, and Romans chapter 1 verse 4 and Acts chapter 4 from verse 9 to 11, we know that Jesus was that rejected stone which was made the headstone of the corner. 
We also know that the day on which the rejected stone was made, the headstone of the corner, was the day which God himself had appointed for his son to be raised from the dead, even on the first day of the week, even on Sunday. Because of this fact, we know, beyond the shadow of a doubt, that Sunday is the day that David referred to in Psalms chapter 118, in verse 24, as the day appointed by God to be a day of rejoicing in honor of his son's triumphant resurrection from the dead. Now, we are sure that when we assemble to worship God with rejoicing and gladness on Sundays, we are fulfilling the prophetic writings of Moses, written in Leviticus 23, from verse 10 to 13, Leviticus chapter 14, verse 21. The Davidic prophecy of Psalm 118, from verse 21 to 24. The early church tradition of having church on Sundays, Acts chapter 20, from verse 6 to 12. And the apostolic directive to all the churches as far apart as Corinth in Greece in the west, to far away Galatia, meaning Turkey, in the east, to lay aside on Sundays a portion of their substance for the saints, which can be found in the first Corinthians chapter 16, from verse 1 to 2. Now, when one realizes that Corinth and parts of Galatia are almost 1,000 kilometers apart, we know that we are in very good company where we worship on Sundays. For from 1 Corinthians chapter 16, from verse 1 to 2, it can be easily seen that all the churches that were founded and doctrinally grounded by the Apostle Paul subscribe to this present-day tradition of worshiping weekly on Sundays. Now, this fact can be found in Acts chapter 20, from verse 6 to 12, and 1 Corinthians chapter 16 from verse 1 to 2 as confirmation. So as I close, based on the scriptural evidence given, we can safely and comfortably say, based on Leviticus chapter 23 from verse 10 to 14 and verse 16 to 21, in addition to that detailed in John 20 from verse 19 to 27, Acts chapter 2 from verse 1 to 41, Acts chapter 20 from verse 6 to 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 16 from verse 1 to 2, to cite a few of the relevant texts, we know for a fact that worshipping on Sundays is God-ordained and surely of Old Testament origin, and it is not just a New Testament tradition. So that's the end of my segment today. I will be live next week again. So please be safe and have a productive week, and thanks again for everyone who have been supporting me. So bye for now. Hallelujah to the King.